Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 959. Katie, now I see that you're holding a device in your hand and you are looking what I assume is the digital corkboard. I sure am. Of the ID10T, formerly Nerdist community. Uh, so if someone, let's say, wanted to email an event or something that they wanted to promote to corkboard at ID10T.com, what you are doing right now is looking at the product. I am. I'm looking at the emails emails they sent me. We are reading the exact emails. So (laughs) what are people doing who listen to this podcast? Ryan Dortch writes, like most people, I've heard you for years telling people to make a thing. Well, I didn't make a thing, but my wife did. She started a kid's clothing line called Adam and the Bear. I know I am biased, but the clothes are super cute and very durable. I'm so proud of the work she has put into it. Uh, The website is adamandthebear.com. So check it out. And then uh, this person didn't write their name, but they said, my best friend is trying to open a community center in Lompoc, California, with an emphasis on all things gaming in an effort to give kids something to do and to get them off the streets and have fun at the same time. The city is asking for a lot more money than he anticipated, so he started a GoFundMe, and it's GoFundMe.com slash MetagameArcade for more info or to donate. Fantastic, Katie. Well done. Uh, this episode is Rachel Bloom, who is uh, whom I adore, who I am so excited by. You know, Rachel's just someone who just makes stuff. She yeah. just make a thing. She makes several things. She's so funny. She's such a great writer, an incredible performer, musician. Um, obviously, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like a thing. one of the best shows ever and, on television. <laughs> and she's also promoting her movie, Most Likely to Murder, which is available on digital, DVD, and on demand right now. Right now. Follow her. Watch her. Love her. Appreciate her. This episode is sponsored by Mattress Firm. Um, if you're uh, maybe struggling getting to sleep, because I don't know, maybe the... Maybe the world is just a, a toxic sludge that just spins around in your brain, in the hamster wheel of your brain, over and over and over and over again. Maybe a mattress could help you. A better mattress could improve your night's sleep. So Mattress Firm, America's neighborhood mattress store, is going to help you stretch your budget a little bit further. They're going to help you improve your sleep, not only with just mattress experts, but they can help you build your bed from your headboards to adjustable bases to sheets and decor, whatever they have you covered. Go to mattressfirm.com and save 10% with the code PODCAST10, podcast in the number 10 through June 5th. Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Go to mattressfirm.com. Learn how your sleeping could be tremendously improved. Thank you for Mattress Firm sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast, which is episode number 959. I love the ones that have a little palindromic symmetry to them. Yep. 959. Uh, This is Rachel Bloom. Katie will roll the thing momentarily. And here it goes. It's about to get rolled. I feel it a-coming. Katie, are you ready to roll that thing? Sure am. Okay, get ready. Here it comes. And what if this was the whole podcast, just an hour of this? (laughs) And roll it. Initiating ID10T protocol. should exist where the kids live because like comedy should be cheap and comedy should be able for you know younger people and so like there's more young people in Highland Park and so 
there's all these kids now going to these improv shows at that space. Oh, thank you. If this isn't strong enough, I can throw another show. I promise you, it will be strong enough. This is great. I know, and I guess it'll. It's all for the best, theoretically. I just, I guess, I, also, where people. Well, you said the school's still around. I just, and is it the Groundlings that charges you fucking? Yeah. Six hundred dollars to learn how to wear a wig. But uh, and you know a lot of the iOS people tried to go to uh, they tried to start their own little spot at the Acme. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And on the Yeah. And then it's like so it, like they like had people signing up for classes and then they sent an email. They're like, it's not going to work out. That used to be a good spot, like Acme, yeah. and then the Farfalla next door had a place called Room Five above yeah, that's it. Right. I remember and there that. were great. There was a great. There were just great stand-up shows up in room five. Just that little attic bar. I, see, yeah, I did it a few times. Um, but it's funny to me that the comedy scene in Los Angeles has, for the longest time, it was all independent shows, and now a lot of the independent shows have gone away, and the clubs are now flourishing. Right. So we're just in a constant. We're just in a constant cycle of. I, I think they're they're everywhere though now. I mean, you know, it's uh, there's like every bar seems to have a comedy night. Every, yeah. You know, now that iOS, like we were saying, because now there's like improv shows popping up at bars. That was never really the case before. Yeah, but if I don't see it, then it doesn't. Then it, you know, like, that's right. Because that, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm of the internet age. So yes. If I don't yeah. see stuff, then yeah, it's then not, it's not really there. Are you so using like, the second coaster? Oh, you can have this. Yeah, your, sure, I don't want to sure. ruin your wood. Yeah, something like that. We're definitely in an age of like people think that the way that they see stuff is how it. Like, cause I, we just, we were at the, um, the, uh, the Infinity War premiere and Lydia had this really great dress on and press lines are weird. As you know, they feel weird. You yeah. don't know what to do. And they'll go, okay, let's get a solo shot of Lydia. I'm like, okay. So you just kind of stand there. Everywhere you are, I see them getting, I mean, she's, she looks amazing. She, she looks wears, am- she wears clothes like no one else. It's amazing. So, you know, I kind of did this. I always have for years have done some kind of dumb presentational thing or some kind of just something off to the side or I photo armor cause I just feel like an idiot. And uh, and so I posted. All these people were like doing the Will Smith, huh? I'm like, what are what you talking about? Like, oh, he's done it a few times, and so everyone thinks like I'm ripping him. Like, I don't just because you saw. I know he's more famous, <laughs> but that doesn't. I didn't see him do it. Does he do it to Jada Pinkett Smith? Yes, 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 That's yes, nice. yes. It That's, is nice. Yeah, they've been together a long time. I don't know. I have very. I, I've been thinking lately. I just have very little respect for. Are we recording? Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize Never we were recording mind. it. I was about to say something that would have made some people unhappy. Never mind. Oh boy, what a seamless transition. That was that was great. What else did I say? That was <laughs> good, well, we talked about. Oh, here, here's what I'll tell you that we talked about, and we can. <laughs> Cut it out if you know if you don't want any of this in. We were talking about all the comedy, and then you said, "Oh, I don't want to pay six hundred dollars to Groundlings to just put on wigs." <laughs> I'll stay. I'll stick with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the Groundlings is is good, but I just they charge so much money, and then yeah. if you if you don't get into their what Sunday company, you get one chance, and then you get like excommunicated. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's it's not like UCB has is not flawless. But with UCB, if you don't get on a Herald team or a mod team, which has many more opportunities than Groundlings does, you have other ways to explore your comedy. I mean, I consider myself a UCB person, and I was rejected every time I auditioned for a Herald team or a mod team or submitted a writing packet. But if you do Groundlings, you spend years of your life paying a lot of money, and you get very good. But then, like, if you get ousted from a company or you don't get in, it's like, that's it for you. That's it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I know some I, – I don't know if it's still like this, but for the longest time, part of the problem was um, – that if you were in the Sunday company and you were trying to get into the main company, you could only get into the main company, if I understand this correctly, if someone vacated their spot, which was very rare. Yes. And so there were people who, even though they didn't perform 
that much at all, would not vacate, they would not give up their spot. But then you had to be like unanimously voted into the spot. So everyone had to vote you in. So it was very hard for people. There just was not a lot of, like, you'd get to the Sunday company, a lot of people were like, well, fuck, I can't. It was very political. I could be, yes, very, I could be here for years and never make it into the main company. Yeah. Well, and it's also unfair because I saw a show, I have friends who do Groundlings, so apologize to anyone who does Groundlings that's listening. Uh, I can insult UCB too. It's a bunch of, um, emotionless uh, <laughs> it's a bunch of emotionless cerebral guys who uh, who hit on you with their eyes askance um, and uh, and uh, and instead of giving you good improv notes tell you how they would have done the scene that was, so that there's was my least a, favorite part of yeah. the UCB yeah. instead of being like oh well I just felt like the scene well the way I would have done it is the premise of the scene is clearly yeah. that your dick is God yeah uh, like, I remember one time a guy uh, one time and it's it, like is that the premise because I thought that we were having a really emotional scene about a divorce no yeah. the game should have been your dick is God yeah. <laughs> I'm white yeah it was like I remember one time a teacher said uh, what you should have done was blah 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 and I was like don't you mean what I could have done like isn't that what you should be saying is uh, there's options and none of them are right you know? I've dated a couple of those people let me tell you I dated this no I dated this one guy who name is, names no no absolutely not who's that type and this is when I was very young, and, and uh, I did a sketch show, and he was a couple years my senior, and he was in a slight position of authority, and and I asked him, what did you think of my sketch? And he went, I mean, it was a sketch. No one can say it wasn't a sketch. Oh, wow. And Shit. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you want to, and you want my pussy after that? <laughs> and then I had very low self-esteem, so I was like, here's my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's why you respect me, because I tell it like it is. Yeah, because I tell Oh, it- the old tell it like it is people, like, yeah. hey, if you can't handle Truth Town, yeah. like, well, you know, there are different ways to... Truth Town doesn't have to be filled with severe tire damage to not back up spikes. <laughs> it can be in feelings counting. Truth Town can be, like, there are also ways where you can communicate with people like, hey, this is great. I really like this and this and this. You know, have you thought about, can you, you know, like, what about this? Or can you think about this? But not, but th- there, there's a very clear way where people, and, and this is a very internet thing too, where people have to remind you that they are superior to you. And that you are, you know, like you are subservient to them and they're better than you. And that's just not a great way for people to learn. That's not a great way for anyone to have a conversation or exchange information or, or understand each other. You don't have to like everything, but, but there, but it's just, people don't understand. It's like, oh, am I supposed to kiss everyone's ass? No, but just... You know, trying to communicate in a in a human like the goal should be understanding. The it doesn't facilitate. Yes, it doesn't facilitate creativity or I mean, learning because then it's going to make you get really skittish about. Oh fuck! Now I'm in a place yeah. where gonna, I'm scared yeah. to say anything because I don't want to get shit on. Now when you're, you're in survival mode, yes. you can't. Actually, I think it was on the 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 when you guys had Vince Gilligan on the writers podcast. I think uh-huh. you had him on the Nerdist Writers Panel. Yeah, and he was talking about how he runs his room very openly and and gave an example of a. Uh, he was like, you know, we, we run things in a very kind way because you don't want that lizard brain to take over and people yes. can't pitch freely. And mm-hmm. he said it was right before lunch. They were like, oh, God, it was like, a, you know, the guy's head is on a tortoise. And someone was like, what if the tortoise exploded? And they said it just freely. And they were like, oh, shit, that's a really good idea. And when you're in a competitive space, because I've been in these rooms and you feel locked up, you can't say shit like that mm-hmm. for fear of getting 
ridiculed. And that's how you then, it's snake eats tail because then you only encourage people in comedy who are competitive with their jokes and who think, well, this is how you should have done the scene. Right. Because they're the only people who, they thrive off of competition because they're, you know, making up for some sort of trauma. Yes. I mean, we're all making up for, no one is who's an artist is like a hundred percent happy. (laughs) There's definitely someone deep inside that they're in service to or something that they are in service to because the concept of getting up to seek the approval of strangers is a weird thing to do. Yeah. Like, it's just an odd thing to do, and it's beautiful. I love it. But, you know, I, I, but if I were super well-adjusted, it probably would never occur to me to do it. Yeah. It yeah. just wouldn't. But exactly what you're saying is why, you know, there was a version of At Midnight that was super roasty and super aggressive, and I never wanted to be that because people are their fun. I think people are their funniest when they're relaxed and they feel comfortable and they can take risks and they yeah. feel you know, they feel supported and so I I always wanted the I always wanted that show that panel to feel as friendly as possible so that you know we'd say like if a joke doesn't fly then we can cut it out or if we can make it funny somehow but you know we're not going to we're not going to make you look fucking stupid like that's not our goal and yeah. I feel like that idea of like this should be fun you know like gets people into their best creative zone mm-hmm. you know it was a really nice environment because i remember the first time i did it i was with seth and i think Breckett, uh-huh. uh for robot chicken i was terrified because i was also just a writer on robot chicken with two famous people <laughs> and i was like oh god i'm gonna have to like make up jokes on the floor oh my god what am i gonna do and it was a really nice environment where like you i when you go into those type of intimidating things, you go in almost preparing to fail. You're like, well, I'm going to suck. And <laughs> that's the way it is. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice when you feel welcomed into an unfamiliar space. Well, yeah. Cause it, it, it sucks to not feel welcome because like you said, you don't, you're not your best creative self because you're sort of operating from when you're operating from a place of fear. Oh my God, I don't look stupid. Oh fuck. Oh yeah. You know, then you're just never, you're just never going to be, you're never going to be present. Yeah. You're never going to be connected to everything. And or your impulses. Yeah. I and mean, exactly. your lizard brain is, I mean, I feel it when I'm scared and I'm also very afraid of people and I'm very afraid of getting made fun of because uh, I'm that person. But when that happens, I feel like there's a lion in the bushes uh, I have to fight that lion and I'm just in survival mode. And so creativity is the furthest thing from my mind. Right. Where you need to be open and free and to be able to pull from everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are you, do Do you do any, are you still doing any stuff at UCB or any live stuff? Yeah. I mean, I try to, well, lately I've been doing a lot of stuff because we did Crazy Ex-Girlfriend right. live, but I try to do, I do the occasional improv show at UCB and I mean, I'm super rusty, but every time I do it, I'm like, I should be doing more of this. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, do, I'll usually do like a guest spot on the occasional alt in the occasional alt space. You know, mm-hmm. I'll do rarely, but I'll still do it. Like I'll do ten minutes. You know, at at hot tub or super serious right. show where I'll do. I have stand up bits that go into certain songs, but Crazy X just takes up so much of my time. I, I go into a hole for six months. And are, where are you in that hole right now? We're just we only had one meeting for season four, which will be our final season. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, we only ever wanted to do four seasons. Really? Yeah. We just kind of wanted to make one long 50-something hour movie. Yeah. <laughs> and and any show, I don't think I can name a show that you're like, you know where it really got good? Season 8. Yeah. <laughs> There's no show like that. Every show starts going to shit. And this show doesn't sustain itself past four seasons, unless they want to split our fourth into two, Breaking Bad style. Yeah, which, you know... 
that was... It's a nice way to cheat it. Also, we're networked, so we've done 13 episodes. When you think about cable shows that are doing eight episodes or whatever, yeah. then maybe they can extend a little further, but it's hard. But you had you had a specific story that you wanted to tell. Yeah. and you're Well, that's kind of nice, and I think it's also generous to the fans who... Because you, you don't want them to be like, ugh... They're just phoning it in now because you're yeah. in a place where you go, I don't know what else to say or do, so we're just grasping at straws at this point. Exactly. Where you don't you can and you can sense it where a show has hit its peak and and where it's spinning its wheels. Like the audience is smart. You can feel that and I never wanted to do that. Let me just yeah. and also let me just uh, pile on some more uh, good feeling on oh. what you're saying in terms of but but I'm going to relate it back to me, so I apologize. So well, don't. Sure. It's not that generous. But uh, but we did four seasons of At Midnight, and mm. we kind of were at a place where like I don't know what else to do with the show. And when we finished it, I didn't think anyone was going to care, and still people are like, "Oh, I missed that show." Whereas if we had done five, six, seven seasons, maybe they would have been like, "Are you still doing what the fuck? Are you yeah. still?" So mm-hmm. my point is that it does go back to you in the sense that when you finish. For the rest of your life, probably people are going to go. Oh my god! I you. I think you want people to always want a little bit more. Yes. You don't yeah. want them to be like, yeah, I know, I get it. You know, so yeah. it's 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 a fun. I think it'll be a nice thing for you because I think you will be so touched at how long people will say, "I miss your show." Please, I wish it would come back. I wish you would do another season. And it's good because then when I'm 50 years old and um or you know 55 or something and no one wants to hire me uh, because uh, they don't want to fuck me anymore. <laughs> what and happened? I'm, and I'm out of ideas. Uh, I don't know, man. It was bad. I was just trying to think. What's the age where people start to really turn on women? Uh, you know, we can Zero? always we can always bring it back. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that seven-year-old. I can't fap to her. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the internet, my friend. That is the internet. That's the male fucking gaze. Like, we talk about all this shit, and... Oh, man, I've had a long day of press, so I'm a little punch drunk, but I don't care. The, the, the male gaze, whether guys... Most guys have good intentions, but they still see the world, gay or straight, with the lens of, can I fuck it? Mm-hmm. And that's what the male gaze is and until we really fully acknowledge that I mean that's why we need oh you mean the male gay, like not male like gay no. males no <laughs> although I do call the male gaze I refer to that as the way gay men sometimes see women right. like all of sex in the city G-A-Z-E gaze G-A-Z-E the yeah, male yes. gaze yeah, yeah. is within this lens and I think couched in terms sometimes like likable right relatable threatening mm-hmm. friendly what that means is just like oh can this girl's smart, but would she still fuck me? Right. There's a little bit of that. Right. And so I'm just staring at two men right now. <laughs> I'm no, trying listen, not to be, I'm I, trying I, to not know, be threatening. I, I know how we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very aware. It's no. terrible sometimes. Yeah, but it, but it, but it also, you know, where it hampers, where it hampers creativity, and where it creates boundaries that then you have to work around for stuff that's just like, hey, can we not? It, in a way, it almost feels. Hacky, like, this again, do we really need to fucking deal with this again? Yeah. Can we not just fucking be comedy people? Can we not just, you know, yeah. like, can you? Can we not just appreciate comedy as a whole and just sort of take that stuff out of it? But I think that, and this is, goes back to, I think this is people that I'm every so theater. so woke, you guys. Oh, my God, you're so woke. I'm so oh fucking my God. woke. Good for you, white, Wokeaholic up here. cisgender. Yeah, you know, I've oh, had eight. Yes. You might so. as well be a black woman. You're so woke. <laughs> well, you know, everyone, we got white privilege, but this, with, so, with that comes so much white guilt. And yeah. it just, it's, it's, yeah. it's really hard for us. Oh. Yeah, it's really hard for us. Um, oh, what was Dude. I going to fucking say? I was going to say. <laughs> we were talking about how oh. it, 
take, taking that out of the and leveling the playing oh, field. Oh yeah, the idea of there are some people out there who you can sense comedy was their way of the only way they could dominate other people and it's not about the love of the game and it's not about the love of collaboration it's how can i use jokes to assert my dominance and you get that everywhere more so in the stand-up community mm-hmm. but you definitely get that in improv and sketch too and it's just such a bummer it is a bummer yeah. it's also a bummer for me when i encounter those people because i always know i you can always tell right away when it's happening where you're like oh you're trying to shake me off a riff yeah i get you're trying to riff over me to see if I can keep up. Like, do we need to... Yeah. Can we just talk? Like, do we have to do... Do we have to, like, immediately play the yes and game so you can decide whether or not you respect me? Like, I can keep up with you. Like, oh, I don't. Yeah. we don't need to do this. Or even if I can't, then we could still just have a conversation. Right. Oh, right. You're bringing that's me sort of, back to so many conversations <laughs> that are, like, gross. Well, that's just sort of the bummer competitive side. Like, I think there, there is a healthy competition... Which is good, where you are inspired by other people to do better. Yeah. Where you go, oh, wow, they're doing that. So I want to try to figure out how to, like, raise the stake, you know, like, raise the game on this side. That's, I think that's healthy competition. And the unhealthy competition is, like, I must destroy all others to be, like, there is no number one comic. Like, comedy is too subjective. There's no, you're never going to... You're never going to be like the god of comedy because it's not possible. Yeah. That's what always bothers me about any any time. Ha- I mean, w- women being the the broadest example of every time there's a new successful woman. Like I'm sure when Amy Schumer hit, there were articles that were like, "Move over, Tina Fey," and yeah, it's like, right, right, why right. does Tina Fey have to move over? Right, there's, yeah, there isn't right. this finite bench of comedy where someone has to leave the bench. We can all be have women. We can all have vaginas and be funny in different. And unique ways, and maybe some ways that overlap, but like it's not a competition. It's not it's not one to one or binary like that. Right. And the people I've noticed who fall prey to this a lot are comedians, but also actors. There's a brand of actor who they're considered funny in like the acting, or more specifically, like the theater community. And then when they actually get around real funny people, they're the worst because <laughs> they because they've been comedy adjacent their whole life, mm-hmm. and so they suddenly get really really insecure and they fire back. I once worked with this actor who you can tell everyone had told him, Oh my God, you're so funny. You're so funny. You're so funny. And he basically, when he felt like he wasn't the funniest person in a room, he would resort to jokes that like a 16 year old would tell. He would tell like a dead baby joke. Mm -hmm. He would tell a bunch of like AIDS jokes, like really sophomore. Oh, that's the, that's the, I'm going to misbehave because I'm going to get attention at any cost. So if, if, so if you're not going to love me, I'm going to knock the vase over on the table. Exactly. Yeah. Well, because I'm usually the I'm usually the right. the, the funny so, guy. So now I'm just going to get a reaction. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've, I've met a, I've met a couple actors like that, and I just I think when I was younger, I probably would have been like, "All right, let's go, let's go, let's go toe to toe, let's sure. see how this shakes out." And now I just kind of shut down. I'm like, I just don't. Yeah. It's fine. You you get the floor. I don't. It's fine. Fine. Right. Fine. You great, good, good for you. You were the loudest. You know? This person during the, the, this uh, person during during like uh, when they were on set, um, they would they got so like insecure not being funny. Um, he would he would just make make sounds. He'd be like uh, and be like just to pull just to grab just the attention to pull focus, and it was so fucking weird. 
Yeah. And it, and you would hear he would just kind of stamp randomly and stomp and he would interrupt takes. It was so it was like a child acting out. So weird. And you're yeah. and you're like almost in in a way if it wasn't infuriating as much as it is, you'd want to just sit down and be like, "What's going on? Like what's like what's let's really let's talk about what's going on." And they'd be like, and then he'd he'd just melt like the wicked witch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But those people even like exist, even non-performing people, like writers' rooms. I've seen that happen where you know a guy comes in and he like needs to make himself known. Comes in, go bop bop beep ba doop boop. Then someone starts to like pitch, and then they start kind of drumming on the table. And then once they're done with their pitch, they'll do a thing where they and I've seen this in a couple different writers' rooms. They'll stand up and go, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, no reason. They're not even in charge. But they have to let everyone know that they're there. And then they're thinking about it more probably than anybody else. Well, there's a, yeah, there's also another type of person in a writer's room that's sort of like, uh, sort of like the attack drone, where when someone throws out a joke, if it's not, you know, if it's like a decent joke, but not amazing, Yep, oh, that was my, my yeah. That was my first my first writer's room was I was I came in very insecure and I was the only girl and the youngest, and I remember I would tell a joke and I would see it was bombing, so then I would kind of fade into myself mm. and there were one or two guys in the room who would just be like, and she's gone, Ooh. you know, shit like that. One time I came in with a knit hat that I liked. They were like, hey, nice hat, Rachel. <laughs> hey, uh, you want to loan us your hat so we can all wear the hat? I don't know. I'm not doing the bit well right now because uh, I feel insecure. Wear it back secure. to kindergarten because yeah. these yeah. are kindergarten grade uh, taunts. Yeah. These are kindergarten grade taunts, yeah. folks. That's not, <laughs> maybe not entirely necessary. But, you know, you, I will say that for all of that, you plowed through it. <laughs> sure, I really haven't been that like oppressed. I think I came in real hot and angry because uh, I'm tired. But I really, I've had a good life. <laughs> I just, everyone's great too, guys. Did I, just, I mention I just, that? I just mostly had a good life. I just, yeah, I everything's fun. No one's. I mean, when I hear some of these stories coming out with like me too, where it's like, oh yeah, this guy pushed me against a wall and said, if you, you know, if you want to be in this sketch, you have to suck my dick. No one's. No, 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 no. no. That's that has not happened to me, and and. Uh, I have worked with mostly wonderful people. Yeah, but also, I mean, I know, you know, I know because of some of the themes on the show, and I know you've talked about anxiety, I know you've talked about depression a lot, and, and actually Trevor Moore was just on, and I didn't know that he uh, he has OCD, and we talked a lot about oh. OCD, and he was very he was very open about it, and the reason I think it's great that you talk about the stuff and address that stuff is because it it's not, um, none of it's even though the title of the show is crazy, none of it's crazy. Like it's yeah. like, and, and I think part of the reason, I think there was a lot of that stuff that was just undiagnosed for so many years. But I also think that because of the nature of how much information our brains are trying to process at all times now, I think um, we are feeling a lot more of these things and it's just very normal. And, and the more normal conversations we have about it with people, the more people go, this is just a thing. It's fine. It's, I can talk about it. I'm not a broken piece of shit. Yep. Everything's, you know what? This is just something I can manage. I can I can live with it. That's a good point. I mean, that's what's comforting to me about labels like OCD or anxiety or depression is it is, is for me, it puts a label and puts a almost a community on feelings that I'd had in the past that I thought I was the only one who had them. Right. Um, when I turned nine, uh, I'll never forget. It was some other stuff was going on, but I, it was the night before fourth grade started and I stayed up all night thinking about the things I'd been obsessing over and worried about. And that was the night my, what I now realized to, I think be OCD really came into focus. And I spent four or five years in 
this weird looping thought agony where I thought I was the only one who had these. I just thought I was weird. My parents didn't know what was going on. And it was only years later where I realized someone else, a friend of mine had also had these similar looping thoughts. And I was like, Oh, maybe I, maybe I'm not weird. Maybe this was a thing that other people's brains do too. So whatever you call it, OCD, anxiety, whatever, just the feeling of I'm not alone. I'm not a freak. Other people have gone through this. This right. is a byproduct of living. Right, yeah. It makes you feel so, so much better. Do you remember your first... Ang- Let's do first panic attack stories. Do you remember first panic attack? You know what? I haven't had... The panic attack stuff, it, it more manifested in... Like when I was... When it was really bad in early adolescence, what it manifested itself in was um, like self-implosion shit attacks Mm -hmm. where I would start worrying. So my thing was guilty thoughts where I would have, and I, I wasn't raised religiously, so I don't know where this came from, but I would have (laughs) a guilty thought and I would spiral on the guilty thought and I'd percolate on the guilty thought and I would just kind of shrink into a ball and then I'd have to go to the bathroom. And my parents took me to a doctor and they did an x-ray and they saw like a lot of shit built up and they thought I had a virus. And so they put me on mineral oil, but it kept happening because it was all in my head. So that's to me what, I only had my first panic attack with a capital P this year, and it was the second last episode of the season. I was just overworked, and that's when I was like, my throat started to close, and I started shivering, and I shut down, and then I just took a nap, and it went away, but for a long time, it was, I had these, I guess what you'd call them anxiety attacks, where Mm -hmm. it, it always felt like if I was close to an anxiety attack, or whatever you call it, an anxiety spiral, it felt like I was... And still feels like I'm balancing on the edge of a pool. And if I dip my toe in, meaning if I engage in the thought, I will fall in the pool. Right. And then I'm like sinking for hours. Right. That's what it feels like to me. So it's interesting because panic attacks I know are a thing with some people. And that almost feels separate than the brand of anxiety. Yeah, because the, the, the panic I think is – I mean at least from my experiences with them is that it's more – of these sort of physiological manifestations, more of the physical manifestation of the anxiety where, and I personally think that it's your, I think it's your body trying to distract you, Mm. distract you from your thoughts by going, oh, my heart, or oh, Uh my, oh, something. And the funny thing about them is that, there are many funny things about them, but one of them being that as many times as you have them, the more you have, the more you can kind of talk yourself, oh, I know what this is. But every once in a while, one will sneak through and you'll go, no, wait, I know that the other ones were panicked, mm-hmm. but I think this is really yeah. some type of cardiac event or some because it's such a great mimicker, it can mimic so many other symptoms that it can trick you and you and then afterwards you're like, God fucking you got me again. God damn it, how many fucking times you know? Well, so you really think it's it feels like a heart attack. It fe- it can feel like a lot of things. Sure. It can feel like you can your limbs can go numb, you can be short of breath, it can feel like a heart attack, you can think you're having a stroke, you can think you're ha- about to pass out, you can think yeah. you're you know, your vision can get blurry. Like if you if you look up all the things that it can mimic it's pretty shocking, but I really do think that it, it is it is your body trying to distract you from you know whatever these types of generalized anxiety spirals are. Or these you know beating yourself up or you trying to punish yourself for some reason because yeah. who knows why? Because yeah. you feel like you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get out of the? How did you get out of the thing with the stomach? It went away. I I, I remember it just slowly started to go away when I was thirteen. You know I got. 
I don't know. I just started to, maybe it was I was coming out of puberty. I mean, it was, it could have been hormonally triggered. I mean, I've talked to my psychiatrist about this and they're, the way hormones interact with our mental health are, you know, it's, it's, it's huge. And I, it was synonymous with me becoming more popular and getting more friends and finally getting accepted because of theater, which I had always loved. And so it all just worked together that by the time I got into high school, it was gone. And then it resurfaced a couple of years ago in in different forms. It was gone for a while, and then it came back in other ways. Uh, but but still, the root of my anxiety is it always. It's like I spiral, 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 and the core of it is this anxiety is going to ruin everything I hold dear. Right. The, it's it's fear of the thought itself, and it right. feels like there's this um. For a long time, it feels like I would always say there's like it's almost like there's a little there's like a giraffe over my shoulder. I know that there's like something big behind mm-hmm. me, and it feels like it's it's looking at everything I hold dear and wants to attack it. Well, giraffes are pretty docile. Yeah, I know. I I don't know why I I don't know why it just it feels like something big and looming. But at the same time, it's it's inside of me. I mean, sometimes I just call it like the bad thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just feels like oh, the bad thing's here, and the bad thing wants to make me not feel the like Babadook. myself. The Babadook. Yeah. The Babadook wants to make me not feel like me right now. Right, 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 right. Which is it? I think it's good to kind of have those conversations with your brain, it because it it when you're young, you don't realize sometimes that. If, I hope this makes sense that you can separate yourself from your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So when you're young and you have a thought, you just think like, "Oh, well, my brain is telling me this, so it must be true." Yes. Rather than you know, I think the brain plays tricks on you, and I think it's all well intentioned, but it's you know, um, being able to go, "Okay, I know you're telling me this, but I'm not going to pay attention to that." Like that, yes. that takes some time to discover. But I feel like, you know, the more people talk about it and the more calmly and openly and casually they talk about it, the more a parent might recognize, oh, my kid, it seems like something's wrong. Hey, you can talk about this. You feel weird. I felt weird. Hey, you can. Oh, OK, great. Now we're talking about it. Right. You know, which is the most conversation, I think, is one of the beginnings to being the equalizer of everything is just being able to talk it down. And because the more you, you know, the more you shove it in. Oh, it's. It's the worst, especially when you consider yourself intelligent. You begin to trust. I mean, it's like what you said. You you trust the thought. Well, this is a thought I'm having, and I'm pretty smart. So right. this thought must be true. And I guess my brain is right that, you know, uh, because I'm having this thought right now, it means I won't be good at softball. Well, that's a very <laughs> right. logical thought, right? <laughs> and, I mean, that's what cognitive behavioral therapy, in essence, for me is, is, is knowing which thoughts are worth engaging and which thoughts are nothing. Yeah, and I think ultimately the goal is to figuring out how to ultimately, as best as you can, like really pilot the thoughts yeah. and drive them and drive your brain as opposed to just being dragged around by it. Mm-hmm. And and it is it is possible. Uh, and, you know, Jonah uh, months ago had told me, he was like, oh, I'm starting to do transcendental meditation. It's been really nice to like take breaks, just, just like put my brain on these breaks and... Uh, and enough people set, mentioned it to me. I was like, fuck, I'm going to go do it. So I went to the David Lynch Foundation and did it. And I did the same thing. It, you did. Yeah. Yeah. And I took the whole class. I, I do. I try to do TM every day, but I'm so tired lately I end up falling asleep. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> well, that's okay. Good. I know that's okay, but, but, but go on. For me, I'm curious what it did for you. Cause well, I've only been doing it for a couple of weeks. Okay. But what it has done for me so far is that um, 
you know, it's not like I just magically felt like I'm fixed. Yeah. But what I have felt is less reactive. Mm -hmm. I felt more rested. Mm -hmm. I felt calmer. Mm -hmm. Like I, this actually really freaked me out. I'm an insanely ticklish person, and mm-hmm. I don't like being tickled. Like, I, if I get tickled, I get fucking angry. <laughs> it feels so just weird and violating to me. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I think I had a cousin that used to pin me down when I was a kid and be like, ah, like past the point of like, please, you have to stop. And, and you know, it was just like funnier. And so I just get really. If someone tickles me, I'm like, get the fuck away. And so sometimes I'm flinchy hmm. you know like if if my wife like touches and i'm not paying attention i just get flinchy and she t- she was touching me the other day in a way like i can't like my neck is very sensitive and all of a sudden it just wasn't hmm. and that was very strange wow. to me i'm like oh i just don't feel that kind of like ah, you know like it it was just gone and that that and that was after doing it for like a week. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, really it was. Great. It was really cool because wow. you know it's probably wife. It's probably nice if your wife can <laughs> uh, touch you randomly and not have you go. Ah, yeah. you know what are you doing? <laughs> so. It's almost you have you basically have tickle PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Post traumatic tickle disorder. Post traumatic tickle disorder. PTTD. Yeah, PTTD. I felt like when I did TM, and I continue to feel this way, it just gave me more control over my thoughts. And and also gave me this feeling of, eh, I can't control everything, so why mull over this bad thing that I did? I've punished myself enough. It's just time to move on. And and just learning that skill, it's something that I never even thought of doing before. The idea, the ability of just not engaging in the thoughts that were counter to my happiness. It's just an idea that was so, I don't know. I also feel like, especially with Jews, we associate our anxiety with who we are. And there's a whole other theory of uh, Jews are anxious because it was the anxious people who survived (laughs) because it's the anxious people who are like, the Cossacks are coming. And the other guys were like, nah, it's fine. You know, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) what are you worried about all the time? It's fine. uh, I'll collect nuts later. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But, but what you said was, I think totally right on about, um, because when you go into the meditation part and you're just allowing your thoughts to happen and not trying to engage with them or control them, I think it does teach you that you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to control everything. And I think that is the root of a lot of, uh, you know, anxiety and a lot of obsessive thinking is must control. I must control. And I know obviously people with mental illness is deeper than just like, Hey, just, you just relax, you know? Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think the root of it is are all the, and alcoholism, all of it, it's just all these control issues. Sure. Like I need to control in an uncontrollable world. And particularly now where we're on a 24 seven diet of, Horrible news and toxic social media and to- and, inter- and toxic everything. Oof. Now more than ever, people just need to grab onto whatever little nugget of control they can to not fucking go nuts. That reminds me, there's a theory that I've heard that um, there's an increase in borderline personality disorder because of how confusing the world is. That and and one of the. I might be muddling this, but one of the tenets of borderline is seeing things in only black and white and not having a sense of yourself, only kind of defining yourself with the external. And if you guys listen to S-Town, the lead character of S-Town is 
I, a lot of people say is like a textbook example of someone with borderline and, you know, he loves getting those tattoos, self harm, um, kind of pain to distract you from your looping thoughts Mm -hmm. is a thing that borderline people do. And there's a theory that that has lent itself to the increase in piercings and tattoos Mm. is that it's people who just need to find any way to be present and escape from their thoughts. And the thing that makes you do that is the pain of getting a tattoo or the pain. Well, yeah. I mean, what, what can you can, you know, like, uh, whether it's alcohol or whether it's an eating disorder or whether it's self harm, it's you controlling your body, you controlling what's going in your body, controlling the experience, controlling the pain, controlling the ingestion or not, or, or lack thereof. And, um, I love tattoos. Tattoos look really cool and I want a tattoo and I love, I don't have any because I'm, I'm chicken, but like not ever saying everyone with tattoos is borderline. Just, that was a theory. No, no. I'm covering my bases (laughs) because social media is terrifying. Well, yeah. Cause someone's going to interpret that as, and you're going, Oh no, I didn't, I didn't really mean it the way, but that's what you said. Oh, I know. But you know, so I'm not, I'm not in your head with your thoughts. I don't mean it that way. And then I just don't check my ads for the next week. Cause I'm like the internet's not Safe. Well, that's probably a healthy thing to do. I right. think I just I try not to do that anyway. <laughs> yeah. How much does getting a tattoo hurt? Uh, depends on where it is. Um, like I got my first tattoo like right here, and it's a kind of a fleshy. He's part pointing of my to the sorry, oh, my, right. my, to the my, back my of his arm. Tricep area. It's a gorgeous tattoo. Thank you. Um, and that one was uh, like I asked the guy. I was like, "Is this going to hurt?" And he says, well, "Not for your kind of arm." Meaning that it was flabby enough to not really <laughs> warrant as much pain. Oh, um, thank you, sir. But then I got one on this the inside of my bicep uh, recently. That was the one I got after my dad died. And um, that one was very sensitive. That one hurt a lot. It, it like hurt way more than I thought it would. I thought my fleshy arm would save me again. But there's a lot of nerve endings there, I guess. And it's, uh, that, one, that one was tough. And then uh, Jay Howell gave me one right here when he was drunk, and it hurt because he pushed too hard. <laughs> or just a friend. It was the guy who designed Bob's Burgers. Uh, oh. We were hanging out at his place. And, and he just um, has a tattoo gun He's him? like, he's, he's like, a, like a, I did Sanjay and Craig with him. Yeah. And he... He's like a he, punk rock dude. Yeah. I, 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 I love that show. It was yeah. so much yeah. fun. I love Sanjay. I almost, wrote, I almost wrote on it. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was Craig. Um, I know. Oh, and okay. Crazy X, uh, I, um, I, I got offered to write on Sanjay and Craig, and then... Crazy X, like the pilot, we sold the pilot and I couldn't do it. Well, but I'm glad I you got to do love, your pilot, but I'm sorry you didn't get to run on Sunday. I love that. It felt like old school Nickelodeon. It did. It yeah. was. It was really fun. And I remember when Jay was exper- was going through his period, he was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm just going to start giving tattoos. So I've been, he would show up with like three new weird tattoos on his leg yeah. and was just so casual about, yeah, you know, I just got drunk and I just kind of was just experimenting. I'm like, but that's permanent on your leg. But he's covered. You know, he's it's, covered. It's like we, it was, we were at his place and, you know. But it's like other, getting a piece of art. Yeah, he had, other, he had other like, you know, artist friends and everyone was giving each other tattoos and drinking Coors Banquet beer, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, a, he's, he's like, let me give you something. I was like, well, yeah, just give me like, he has like those cute little dogs that mm-hmm. he draws. And to me, it's like, you know, it's like I got like a, a Matt Groening to like, yeah. not just a Matt Groening design tattoo, but like I got like him to do it. And so that's right here. And it's real small. It looks real white trash. Yeah, but I've been, I've been, I'm honestly It's like a tiny tempted. thing on my giant white arm. I'm tempted to, to have him do one on me just because I feel, because it is, it's like, it's like having the actual artist. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Deanna, my wife, she got like a huge crocodile on her ankle. I just fear that after a week I would go, why did I do this? 
must you, remove. You just sure. kinda, but like it, it, it doesn't matter. Well, also you're an actor, so like it. I think it's different when I don't know. Well, I guess you're more like your own persona, though. Like you're not. How often are you, are you ever auditioning for like I'm going to be no. in the Iceman? I, I, I auditioned for an Adam McKay movie last year just because it was an Adam McKay movie, but no one ever asks me to audition for it. It would have to. My schedule doesn't really allow me to be an auditioner. Sure. And I also know like... Or offer only. <laughs> well, the only reason I would say offer only on stuff... But I know that there are some acting things that I, I would audition for if someone asked. But but the truth is, I just... I know that there are better auditioners. Mm. I think I would be good if someone just said, well, let's just get you on set and put you in this situation. But I'm just like, I'm preparing pages and I'm going to go in a room and sit across a table and be like, I don't, what do we do about this? You know, we'll like, talk I, about fighting the lizard brain and feeling comfortable. That's a whole fucking skill with auditioning. Yes, Where, it, it yeah. is. It really is. Some people are just good at that. They're really good at that. You know what I think the key is? And this is after, because after we sold the pilot for Crazy X and I, I think we'd already maybe done a table read. I don't know. I... I've been auditioning for years, and only after Crazy X did I, I got asked to test for two different shows within the span of a week. And I think what it was was, A, I didn't care anymore. Right. So I wasn't trying to impress the powers that be. But also, I learned by reading my own writing, I realized, oh, you have to treat every script like it's your own writing. Mm-hmm. That you have to treat it like you thought of it. And I think that I'd been looking at other people's scripts, like I'm going to try to be the thing that I think you want as yeah. opposed to I'm going to do my thing and you tell me if you like it or not. Yeah. 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 But that, that, that process is, I mean, it's, it's a steeplechase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is an emotional steeplechase. And you know, when, but when you realize like in most cases, it's, it's rare that you are going to audition yourself into the role. In most cases they are looking for, this like shopping for a Christmas present. They just kind of have an idea in their head of what they want. And if the right person walks in at the right time, they go, yeah, that's, that's the person. I mean, you can, I think people can be more prepared and audition really well, but you can audition the shit out of something. And then it's like your audition was amazing, but you're just not like, you're just not right for this. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever had actors audition for you? Have you ever been behind? audition? Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you know, for me, the interesting thing, because I thought for many years, you know, you learn all these auditioning roles. Well, don't wear dots. Don't wear, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't, yeah. don't, and learn all your lines. And I would, I would literally, if I messed up, if I stumbled, I, I was like, I have to be word perfect. And what I learned from auditioning for my show was auditioning people and watching it. It wasn't anything to do with the words. It was just, do I buy it? Yeah. Right. It was, do I buy the essence of this person? Do I buy that they are saying these words right now? And if someone's audition was good enough, and by good enough, I mean specific and they had a point of view enough. I think that's what, to me, a good audition is. It's not like, I'm going to act the shit out of every <laughs> word you have written. And the beats, you know, and the beats are like super crisp. I'm going to stand like, up on this line. I'm going to sit down on this Yeah, line, like that shit's super fucking gross. But it was when someone just had a really unique take that it makes you maybe want to change the role around. Even. Right. They're, they're so, so fucking good um, that you're like, oh, I'm going to re, I'm going to rethink something or I'm going to rewrite this role uh, or at least make you close to question, you know, question yeah. rewriting. Right. The role. So my friend, um, uh, this guy that I would work with sometimes when I would have auditions, do you know Jack Platnick? I, I know him. Uh, my friend worked with him for a recent movie. He's great. He's great. And a yeah. great writer and a great actor. And he has this whole blog that people can look up, which 
is for acting, but I think it's good for other disciplines too because it's this whole idea. That thing that you said that's watching over you, trying to destroy everything, he calls it the vulture. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, like your vulture is the one that prejudges you basically and and tells you like, oh, you know, I need this or this is going to suck or this is that. And so he has techniques for sort of just like getting around what he calls the vulture. This is Jack Plotnick. He's a really, really sweet, great guy. He's wonderful. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know about his blog. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's had it up for years. Like it's just, you know, just as a... Here, actors, you know, just a little public service for actors. Look at Uh, Jack Plotnick's blog. Yeah, Jack Plotnick's blog. And I think he's single. Hey. So any gentleman out there... He's a groundling, I think. It was <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, come on, guys. Listen, that's all I'm it saying. It was a joke. Or no, it was a it was a joke. I look, the groundlings people are very good at characters and impressions, and I'm I'm not great at that. So, what do you what are your what do you think your I mean because I think one of the great things about anyone who's followed your career is that it's inspiring for someone. It's like, hey. If you, you you can just make this, you you don't have to work within the system. You can make the system. Mm-hmm. Like you have made, you made your way a hundred percent and earned everything. That's one of the reasons why I get so excited to see you. Like when we pass each other at award show and stuff, Aww. you know, I'm like, my God, you know, she just fucking made it happen. Like she just. You developed your own ideas. You put stuff on the internet. You worked hard. You did live shows. You wrote on great shows. And you found this thing that was really a part of you, like an authentic part of you, and expressed it and used all of your talents and mashed them into this one thing. And I think that is the best thing that anyone can do is figure out who they are and just mash everything that they love and everything they're good at together. Yeah. So how <laughs> was it is it just a is it just like a drive that you have or like what was it that what was what's so motivating like what made you realize I can do this I'm going to try to do this and how did you not judge yourself out of it Well it was feeling the gaps in both worlds it was feeling the lack of emotion and the lack of I don't know I felt showmanship in the comedy community like the comedy community felt very um pretty smart and intellectual, but like no one's projecting, (laughs) like I can't hear them in the back. Uh, And, and you know, we're in, and I, I was in New York city and it just, the, the two worlds of theater and comedy felt so different in ways that I thought were completely unnecessary. And then likewise in musical theater, I mean, I was a musical theater major and so first of all, when I started to learn sketch comedy and fall in love with it, you realize that so much of musical theater is shit. <laughs> and, the, and the standards are so low because the golden age of musical theater was the, uh, it's like the 50s to the early 70s. They call that like the musical theater golden age. Maybe 1947 starting with Oklahoma, but I think that was 47. Anyway. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about then the golden age of musical theater and anything that's comedic, you're talking about jokes that were written in the 50s and the 60s. They're not going <laughs> yeah. to be funny, even if they were hilarious back then, which they still probably weren't. Um, <laughs> Do we need to say dames here? Do we need to say it here? Huh? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that really the right context? Well, Sondheim writes about it in one of his books where he talks about the difference between being clever and funny. And if you look at Cole Porter's lyrics, they're very clever. <laughs> A lot of them are like, oh, boy. <laughs> it's you more know. the, oh. oh. 
it's that. So that's a lot of musical theater. And I just got very frustrated because I wanted to. I was falling in love with sketch comedy, but also wanted to still do musical theater. And the quest to find a good musical theater audition song for a woman, because there were better parts for men, but the the lack of of actually genuinely funny things for women, I felt like in musical theater and theater in general that didn't feel dated or soft were really low. And so I think it started with, I took a musical theater writing class because I was like, I think I can blend sketch comedy and musical theater in ways that most people could do. It just seemed obvious to me. Yeah, It just seemed like, oh yeah, of, of course, a, a, a good comedy song is just a musical sketch. But as I started doing it, I realized not a lot of people were doing that for whatever reason. Mm. So it was a fee- it was a feeling of trying to do the obvious thing and make both worlds better and be happier in both of these worlds. Definitely feeling um, feeling probably insecurity was a big thing because you know I was the big I was the shit in my high school and then you get to college where everyone was the lead in their high school play <laughs> and there's a little bit of well maybe I'm not as good as that girl but at least I can write right. and so you begin to value your other skills as a defense mechanism but sure. it actually really worked out for me <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the other thing is I mean I'm sure you guys feel this too but there's fear of death and fear of failure the fear of I'm going to be on my deathbed and I will I won't have done anything great because I was lazy. That's that is such a motivator for me. Yeah. But also, you know, the feeling of being able to take control of your career and not feeling like I mean that's you know, that's the other thing that is can be so maddening for people in, in talking about being in situations that they can't control. You can't control anything in the entertainment business at all. Even once you have a job, you don't know if you're like they could replace you or yeah. they could cancel the show or you could, you know, so that feeling of, uh, and I guess ultimately no job in any field is safe from you know, like a hundred percent, but I feel like in entertainment, it is particularly volatile. And so the idea of just needing to feel grounded to something, but taking that fear and creating with it, is the trick, I think, rather than being victimized by it. Yes. And that is what you were able to do. And so, you know, what do people ask you about that or how to do that? And do you have advice for that? Is it, I, I mean, when people say, oh, how do I do stand up? I go, we just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's not really a secret starting line. No one fires a gun. It's like you just go do it and yeah. that's it. Oh, people ask me all the time. I mean, I think the tricky advice I have is when it's someone who wants to do drama. Comedy, we have so many ways to get our work noticed. I mean, between – forget the internet even wasn't a thing. When you do comedy, you inherently do it for an audience. You do a stand-up show. You take a class at UCB or the Groundlings <laughs> and people see you and you meet other people. It's inherently collaborative. If someone's like, I have a drama script, I, I, don't, I mean – I, I don't know. The only way I know how to get your work out there is to make it be known to other people and search for every avenue that you can. I mean, just, just say yes to everything and exhaust every single option and opportunity because even the things that are a bust will have opened a door. Like I finished this spec script that I've been working on to apply specifically for the Nickelodeon Writing Fellowship, knowing I probably wouldn't get it. And I didn't even get 
their equivalent of a callback, but it kicked my ass to finish my spec, which six months later, when I got an agent, got me hired for my first writing job. Oh, wow. So finding different things to kick your ass and different little deadlines Mm -hmm. is also really important for me. But at the end of the day, it was it made me happy. And I think that in LA, there's a little bit of a trap where you put your career before your happiness. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people move out here maybe before they're ready to be working professionally. And they think, well, where's my agent? It says, well, well, what are you doing this for? It has to be about the art and the craft first, even though that's very counterintuitive to show business. It's weird. Yeah, yeah I, my the first iteration of my career in the 1900s, um, <laughs> I you know I had an agent and I would always be like, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you sending me? And then when I look back now, I realize, oh, I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't giving them anything. Like I wasn't creating anything. I mean, I can't now. It's hard for me to imagine a time. You know, when I look at you know the way that I made stuff and the way that you made stuff, Jonah, and the way that you made stuff, Rachel, the thing we're doing now, the podcast. I can't imagine what I would have done if I were an adult in the 80s or the mm. 70s or any other period of time where I had this creative energy and not not all of these outlets to yeah. express them or kind of go, oh, well, I'll just make my own stuff. I, I mean, obviously, people could do that, you know, like Kevin Smith made Clerks and other yeah. people made their independent, Quentin Tarantino. Like, other people did do stuff, but it was infinitely more challenging than it is now. I can't... Yeah. Can you imagine being in any other time period? No. I feel lucky. No, I mean, also, I mean, as a... Actually, as, like, a woman, but also as a Jewish woman, which now, I, that doesn't make a, a dent. Everyone's Jewish. But I think about my grandma, who um, didn't go to college. She was uh, very, very poor, you know, you kind of stay in your lane. She was a Jew growing up in St. Louis. And I found recently some of her writing. She later started to take, she got her associate's degree. And as part of that took writing classes at the local community college, right? I think it was Santa Monica college right here. And I found some of her writing and it's really good, but that just wasn't an option for her. It just, no one, it, it just, that's not what you do. You, you get married and you, have kids and you don't climb your social class in that way. Like that's mm-hmm. not for you. I was just with my dad last night. My dad was 42 when I was born. So my grandparents died when I was really little. And I said, what would your parents have thought of what I'm doing now? You know, with slinging my tits around and, and talking about, you know, periods and stuff. And he said, <laughs> it just wouldn't have, it was so outside of that world, you know, when, they'd watch TV or film. They think, oh, well, that's artsy people. That's not what we do. Right. And I think there's been a real... My parents were always supportive of me being in the arts and expressing my creativity. And I was... I think that's a really recent thing for anyone whose parents are like that. I, yeah. we, we, were watch, we started watching a documentary the other night called Bombshell. It's the Hedy Lamarr documentary. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. Ooh. Because it is all about everything that you're talking about where she was obviously sort of, at least according to the documentary, she was very seduced by, you know, like being, being a starlet yeah. was her kind of her way out of, you know, she was married to this, like, essentially this Austrian arms dealer. and. Wow. She es- literally like escaped, like dressed up like a maid, and just took off one night at a dinner party. And but she was constant, like her whole life, she was an inventor, and she constantly had ideas. And so, 
in the and the, and some people dispute this some people say like oh she didn't really come up with these ideas you know but according to the story she um helped the war effort in world war Two. she was and at this point she was already like a massive star and she had this idea uh of frequency hopping to be able to radio control torpedoes because the u-boats were too hard to track for the allied ships and so and they could just create radio they could just create um noise like radio noise to uh disable them controlling so she got this idea for a remote, from a remote control radio, which was a new th- technology at the Jeez. time. Like, well, what if you packet switch? What if you frequency switched? So at one and you and the, the and the allies knew like what the frequency jumping was going to be, but the other side would never be able to predict where it was going to jump next. So even if they were interfering at one frequency, they would it wouldn't be long enough on that frequency to create any real interference and and it is you know like they say well this is the foundation of like wi-fi and bluetooth no wow. way that this you know that this woman was this really brilliant actress and she she was an actress but she talks about how she was married many times and she this reporter unearthed this interview that he did with her in 1990 that he just found on a tape that was like behind a trash can oh my god and you know she basically talks about how um, the the men that she was with just never saw her as anything. Like she almost, in a way, even though she used beauty to her advantage, she was almost like weirdly burdened by it because no one ever saw past that with her. Wow! Into this this whole like brilliant inner life that she had. So it's a really really f- phenomenal documentary. That's amazing. Right? I mean, yeah. I can't wait to watch it. But the idea of the closest thing that you can imagine. Okay, I'm smart and I want to get out of my marriage. And I'm I'm I have good social EQ. I guess the closest thing is a bombshell. <laughs> but but you know now she would be all of these things, and she'd have a TED talk. And, and she also a had web to, she also had yeah. to hide the fact that she was Jewish. That was another oh. thing that she well she didn't have to, but she chose to hide sure. because she yeah, didn't want right. that to be. She you know if people asked if she was Jewish, like her kid her kids said like oh I didn't we didn't really know we were Jewish for the longest time you know because she was like oh that's ridiculous we're not what do you mean you know because she was so afraid yeah. and but I love what you just said like now you know she'd be able to have a TED talk and she'd be able to and she'd be open about being Jewish I mean it's weird because it's such a it's such a, a ubiquitous thing right now but recently. I mean, very recently, it was not great to be Jewish. My grandmother was, uh, she graduated from Northeastern Law School, I think, in 1932. And she was one of three women who graduated. And I always heard these stories that at her law firm, she told them she was Italian. Because mm. they, if she'd said she was Jewish, she would have, you know, gotten fired. And they were always telling Jew jokes around her. And she just oh had to God. laugh. Jeez. And and it, people, for the longest time, and still do, obviously. People really hate Jews uh, still to this day. But I really take – I think a lot of us take for granted how accepted it is in a lot of circles. Uh, it is to be Jewish where just very recently it wasn't. Yeah. I just got a thing that you have to wrap in five minutes. So I imagine you are in the middle of a really insane shitty press day. Uh, oh, yeah. I have a Hollywood Reporter panel. Oh, that's very fancy. Well, I'm promoting Crazy X, but also I'm in this movie. Most Likely to Murder? Yeah. Oh, on May 1st on VOD? <laughs> Which is today. Which is today. Yeah. Oh, it is today. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm in this movie. 
My husband happened to have directed it and co-wrote it, but it's a fantastic movie, even if we were mortal en- enemies. And Adam Pally and I are in it, along with Vincent Carthizer from Oh, Batman. yeah, yeah. He's awesome. And Doug Mann, who co-wrote the movie, is also in it, and I think he steals the movie. Um, and it's a great, it's a great film about nostalgia and clinging to the past and a kind of guy who has uh, a lot of things that you would call like white male privilege, but uh, doesn't get away with it, which I love. Nice. Well, I, I'm so glad that you were able to come on the podcast, and I loved every time that you were on At Midnight, and I also am just constantly impressed by how much you care about comedy and the art of comedy. Like, even the fact that you're like, oh, we only want to do four seasons because that's the best version of that show. Like, that... It, to, to hear someone would actively... N- choose to not when when it seems like oh yeah i gotta fucking ride this out as yeah. long as i'm gonna yeah. ride this dolphin into the sunset you know i mean it's 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 a very bold move and and at the and on paper it sort of looks like oh wow it's risky to give up a job but i tend to think like it's riskier to not evolve and do new things and tell stories that you're excited about it's riskier to get shitty too yeah i mean that's 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 the thing is like if you get shitty if you get if you suddenly get shitty you're not going to be high in demand anyway and it was the thing where when we started the show i just wanted to create good work and aline aline rush mckenna my writing partner was so rich and, and successful from writing movies Doing TV at all was, at the time, somewhat of a step down. So she was like, I only care about making quality work. I don't care about creating something that I don't care about. Um, so it worked out. Is there anything that you can tease for the season four or no, not yet? Uh, yeah, I would say um, starting from scratch and renewal. Okay. Starting and from rebirth. Scratch. And uh, the di- my dick is God, <laughs> which is the title of the season. My dick is God is great. <laughs> I will say that uh, Danny Jollis, who's on Grey's Ex-Girlfriend, who I know from doing college sketch comedy, he's going to hate me for this, but he had a sketch called Jay Leno Penis. Uh, and it's when I first read it, it was the hardest I'd ever laughed reading anything in my life. I was very high. But even now, it was about a guy whose penis is Jay Leno, and it just impeded his every... It, 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 it ruined his life, and I still think it holds up. There are, I mean, listen, I have no shortage of dick jokes in my act. Some of them are just dumb. Some of them actually do have a purpose. You know, like, you can, you can have a purpose with them. But I guess it's just the question of, like, are you, you know... Is it just a cheap? Is it just a cheap laugh, or is it a part of a bigger thing? Is it is yeah. actually relate to something mm-hmm. else? But I don't know. I kind of feel like it seems like there's there's room for all types of jokes as long as you can have a nice balance. Yeah. You know, like as long as you can have my favorite comics have like a nice balance of just dumb silly jokes and then like really cerebral jokes and then really dirty <laughs> jokes and then really like they just kind of go all over the place. I my favorite comics as well. I mean. Just I, I mean, that's why I loved what Michelle Wolf did yeah. at the White House <laughs> Correspondence Day. It was, it was a great set. Are you getting asked about that? No, no one's asked me about that I yet. Just, I've been doing press for the movie, and everyone brings it up. And all you can say, and all I can say is, yeah, it was great. It was really funny. Well, yeah. I guess, I guess <laughs> it, was it was really, it was really, it was a great set, yeah. really well written set. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that I would say about it is, you know, it's like, wh- what did you think she was going to do? It's so like, stupid. Did you yeah. not like you? 
I don't. You, did you not? Have you not watched the Daily Show? Like, what did you think was going to happen? It's because she like she like a lot of people that do it like they lean towards Republicans and conservatives. She kind of gave it to everybody, which everyone should do. Is and that so, why people are, are that, so upset? I mean, over that's it? Like, that's the only thing I can really think of. But people are all up in arms about her complimenting Sarah Huckabee Sanders' eyeliner or whatever. That was the uh, <laughs> smoky eye. Sorry, this is the this is trending right now, yeah, yeah. and it's just it's just so it, it's just funny to see like a really good comedy set that would hold up anywhere and people reacting to it who a lot of whom I'm just like oh you haven't seen good comedy then yeah. if you're if you're upset about this then you need to go to some more comedy clubs and learn what good comedy is because to me this was just well I, I also think you know it's like did everyone forget what Colbert did with Bush? Like it was yeah, the same. same like he basically just called him a war criminal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, then there's the argument of that a lot of people are making that it's also because she's a woman, yeah. which again goes back to the male G A Z E, which is uh, uh, this subtext of well, a man can do it, but when a woman does it, no, 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 women are for fucking, and and when women when women talk about, you know. When women talk about their genitals, it's crude. But when a man does it, well, I guess a man is still crude. But, <laughs> but, but you know, the idea of her being called lewd and crude, that those are words that are used less to describe male yeah. comedians. I mean, I, I, think, I think everyone is at such a fever pitch right now oh. of, of anger and anxiety and toxicity on both sides oh, that no. any slight thing that one side does, there's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, it's like basically everyone's just in fucking guard dog attack mode at all times. And any little, and anything in any other era where it wasn't, where the stakes weren't so fucking high, you know, people would have been like, yeah, yeah, it was fine. Oh, I loved it. Oh, I don't know. It wasn't yeah. really my thing. Yeah. But now, now, like, this is the, what the fuck? She better, you better fire. You better not. Like, yeah. everyone's just in, and unfortunately, because the loudest, most intense voices rise to the top in our kind of upvote culture of social media, it just feels like everyone's flipping the fuck out. Yeah. Well, it's all, you know, it's it's a lot of noise. It's it's like it's so much noise talking about a comedic set that everyone's completely disregarding the fact that the president brought, uh, was at a rally and said, any Hispanics here? And then the entire crowd started to boo. Oh, it's like uh, it's like well, that's, yep. that's didn't weird. know about that. Seemed, yeah, exactly. Jesus you didn't Christ. hear about that well, because we're talking think, about jokes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and where I'm starting to get to with all this stuff now is not to get you know, like not to click on the trending topic to see what people are saying mm. and not to get pulled into the anger and be like, now I'm mad about a thing. I don't really have a, a, you know, I don't really have a pony in this race Yeah, in the sense of like, I didn't, I wasn't a part of this. And now I'm angry at someone's take on it. Cause we're in 20 hot take teen in case you didn't know. Oh, everyone's got ooh, a fucking hot take. Oh. It's tongue, but and, it makes uh, sense. And, uh, 20 hot take and, and, and now I just sort of feel like, you know what? Everyone will be pissed about something else in three days. Yep. You know, like this will be this will feel like a year ago in a couple days, and everyone's yeah. going to be pissed off about something else that happened and fighting with each other, and it just take you know. Twitter off your phone. <laughs> oh, I've done that. It's great. Yeah. I, I love it. I only check it on yeah when you only check it on your laptop. It's great. Yeah, it's I wish great. that Instagram you could post from Instagram on your laptop. That's the one app I can't. You can look at it. You can look at it, but you can't post from can't, it. Yeah. I also admire anyone who would can stand in front of people and just rip them. It's like I'm so. I. I mean. I don't know. I just. That's not an easy thing to do when no. you know. No. When you know that people are gonna. Uh, you know what the reaction's gonna be. You know. And I watched the thing. You know, I watched like a clip of it. There were people laughing in the room. Like they I don't were. know what the. Yeah. I mean. 
I don't know, whatever. This only also this people a question that I've gotten from a couple of places is like, do you well, what do you think this does for a career? What are you talking? It only helps it. Yeah. I watched your Twitter <laughs> followers. She went from ninety six thousand to four hundred fifty thousand in a day. Oh, Good so job, so Michelle. you mean the thing that she did on a bigger scale that, that was she success- always does yes. on the yeah. Daily Show? Yes, that was probably good for her career. Yeah. You know, is she going to, you know, open a NASCAR show? Probably not, but she wasn't (laughs) fucking to do that anyway. (laughs) So, you know, like, I don't know. You know, like, I just don't know. I don't know. Everyone's just angry. But it'll, you know, we'll be angry about something else. Next year, Emo Phillips. That's who should do the correspondence. (laughs) I would would attend that if Emo. That would be unbelievable. I would love that. God damn it. Or Billy the Mime. We should. <laughs> or what's the, uh, shoot, what's the, what's the clown guy that's been doing uh, weird stuff lately? It's like that real tall guy. He's like dresses as a clown and he sings opera. Oh, 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 oh you're, you're talking about um, um, Puddle's Pity Party. Puddle. Yeah, it's Puddle's Pity Party. Yeah, I'm looking at this. He's guy. phenomenal. He He's does an amazing cover of Royals. Yes, he, he does. does these really loungy um, uh, cabaret style. Yeah, covers. He's got, I've seen him live. He's got such pipes. He's like amazing. His, he doesn't even need a mic. He just his voice fills a room. It's so. And we'll never be right. Like oh, yeah. he does this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, and now they're talking about stopping the dinner, which. I, I don't have enough opinions about what the dinner was for in the first place, too. It was for, apparently it's for scholarships? Uh, what? I think, I think it was just to honor journalism. And no, they of, said they hand out scholarships? And to celebrate free speech and to celebrate, you know, but it's like, I, listen, if everyone's going to flip the fuck out and spin cycles on it, no matter what happens, then I, it's like, don't do it then. You know, like, yeah. I, I'm I, my mindset sometimes is like, hey, that thing that's really pissing you off, Maybe we just don't do it and everyone doesn't yell at each other. Yeah. So we find something else to yell at. Sounds good to me. Um, but uh, good luck with the rest of your press day. Thank you so and much for having me. This oh my God, are you so kidding? Fun. Of course. And I, I love that we just seamlessly went into the conversation, but I caught myself before I said something. And I would, would never. angered people. And I would, if you ever wanted anything cut out, you could just say, like, I don't want to say that. It wasn't I racist. I just want to say it wasn't racist. <laughs> okay, good. That's the one thing I want to Let's make clear. That. It just... wasn't racist. We were okay, good. Good, 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 good. Uh, well, that's it. That's the end of the podcast, the official end. There was no official beginning, but this is the official end. This, you could keep on talking, and Katie will just fade it out. And so... Like a, like a song, no one knows This reminds me of a story that is long and enjoyable. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.